listeners, it's Taylor. Before we kick off, we want you to know that the opinions and discussions that take place on Lace and Debauchery do not reflect the opinions of The Rip Bodice in any way. Lace and Debauchery, as a podcast, is an affiliate of The Rip Bodice, which means we can earn a commission on the books we sell during our time as podcast hosts. You can find our affiliate link to buy romance books in every episode description, as well as on our website at laceadpodcast.com slash buy. Thanks for your time, and now for some debauchery. Hell yeah! So I'm Piper and I'm Taylor. We are two booksellers at The Rip Bodice here in LA. We're so excited to talk to you today about the falling, about after, about everything you've been up to. Yeah, this um, is crazy. I read after as it was being published. Oh, wow. Notepad. Yeah, I mean, I was obsessed, absolutely obsessed with it. So I mean, to meet you and talk to you is an absolute honor. Thank you. Thank of you. Course. What a journey. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And the final movie's coming out on Wednesday, right? Yeah. How do you feel? Ready for the final movie to be out. That's yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's been a week. When was the first one uh, released? 2019? Yeah. Wow. Um, but we had been, we were in development for like three years. So it feels like a long journey, very long journey. Yeah. Yeah. And so the last one in your series, and then, I mean, it's great that you are then following up with the entire uh, Brightest Stars series. So, I mean, you're going to be going into, you have like a whole new world to build out, everything <laughs> like that. So just when you're like, I'm done with this one, you're like, and now let's start the next one. Yep. I always do this, but as soon as I get an idea, I'm like, oh, I tell my agent and I tell my editor and then I, and then they tell people and then it's like, oh, now I have like the next literally like four years of my publishing planned. And I'm like, why did I tell anyone any of this? I should have just told, like kept it to myself and then wrote when I felt like it. The other day we were having a meeting and they were like, oh, you know, 27. I'm like, as in 2027, as in like, what? So we're literally like, especially with the graphic novel series, I did a graphic novel series myself after and there's seven of them. And literally the last one comes out in like 2028. And I'm like, is the planet even gonna exist anymore? Like. I don't know what 2028 just sounds insane. You said 2027 and I was like, okay, in 20 years. Yeah. 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 It's not in five. It's so scary to have your life or to have like your work plotted out that far in advance. It must feel like, yeah, just like this, like ongoing, never ending, incredible journey. But that's also like you said, where you're like, oh, I've spoken it out loud. I've made it real. And now I have to build this out, even though it was just this like fantastic idea in my head. Now I get to put it onto a page and probably into the real world too. Definitely. It's definitely a different level of like, and I have a sort of, I don't know. I don't even know. Like I can't follow a rule or like a deadline. So now that it's like for real, I'm like, okay, so when do we really think I'm gonna do this? Yeah, exactly. So like more solid to where I'm like, wait, but then it's my fault. So I can't even like blame anyone. I'm like, I should have just not told anyone. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, you know what? Honestly, it's on me. You're like this one. Yeah, this one's on me. I set these uh, expectations for myself, but also I just want to be able to relax in my backyard and yes, wine cooler. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, congratulations on everything. Yeah, I mean, seriously. How old were you when you started writing the after series? 24 ish. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's been like nine years since the Wattpad version, which is also crazy. Oh my God. 
That is um, absolutely wild. Yeah. So like, what would you say? So like when you started writing at 24 and now you're 33, right? Mm-hmm. So like what, when you sat down to write after, like what were your goals? What were your like life lessons that you learned while writing after? And then how has that changed when you started the following? And then obviously you came back and revisited it. What have you seen change in your writing style, in the different goals that you've had through the whole entire writing process, the publishing process, all of that? I mean, in the beginning, I honestly didn't have any goals. Like I didn't, I just was like, oh, I like reading. And I felt like I had read all of the stories, which obviously isn't true, but it felt like that. I was like, I felt like I was kind of reading the same story. And I'm like, I want something that's like, exactly what I'd want to read. So I just thought, well, no one's going to read it and no one's going to know. And like, I don't have to tell anyone because it's Wattpad. So like, it's totally anonymous. And then it just, people started reading it. And I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is not what I expected, but I genuinely, I wish I had like, you know, an underdog writer story where I had tried to be published for a decade, but absolutely. I just was like, I like to write now. And this chapter was fun. And when I wrote the first one, I just felt this sense of like, oh, this is like, because I've always been a reader and I just read way too much, especially for like, you know, books are, it was an expensive lifestyle um, reading all the time. Um, And so I was like, I wish I, I kept saying to people, like, I wish I could just get paid to read because that's the only thing I actually like to do in life. (laughs) Like the only hobby I have, the only interest I have genuinely. So I, but at the time I didn't even realize that there were like book bloggers and all this stuff. And this was like before bookstagram. So I just kept being like, man, I wish I could get paid to read. But then when I wrote my first chapter, I wasn't thinking about people, you know, tons of people reading it or making a living off of it or anything. I just felt like how this feels really fun and not like really relieving until I find like a real grown-up job. Mm -hmm. Uh, So my goals have definitely changed a lot in, you know, the last nine years of like before I just was like, I just want to like, I don't know, get a grown-up job. And now I'm like, oh, thank God I didn't get one of those jobs that I applied for. And now my goal is to just keep being able to do what I love, which is like, no, you know, I don't really know that many people that get to do that. So it really is a luxury. So I'm just kind of taking advantage of that and being grateful for that. And just, that's all my goal is now is to just be able to do what I love and not have to have a job that I hate. That's so fantastic. And I feel like it comes up a lot in romance where you're told that, oh, these aren't real books. You know, they're just, it's either, it's just smut or it's fluff and it's not, you know, it's chiclet. Like there's this there's such a negative um, rap that uh, romance novels gets. And I feel like it must be even worse with fan fiction where Mm -hmm. did you have a situation or when people started figuring out that you were the one writing this, did you have negative responses to, oh, well, it's not real writing or, you know, whatever. I will say too, working at the Rip Bodice, we always come back with like, it's the reason that we have all of these things and yet people still don't necessarily get it until you explain to them that romance is in every single element of every single piece of media that they consume yeah absolutely yeah and even then it's like I think anything that is majority women is always gonna get that there's they're always looking for a reason that something we're doing is not legitimate or not good enough or not to their standard where I'm like okay all of you guys are watching Game of Thrones and like masturbating to the sex scenes but okay um it's really weird to me (laughs) 
I really, whenever, yeah, I don't really care. Like, especially when I did like comic cons and stuff, like when people would go, oh, you wrote fan fiction. It's like, okay, you're literally any, pretty much everything they're watching in the fantasy world is derived from some other storyline. So it's like all of this, even the new Game of Thrones, it's like, that's just fan fiction off the first one. It's like everything is like fan fiction. So I'm like, I don't get it. To be honest, I really didn't care. Like, I'm like, you, of course you don't get it. And that's why you don't get it. Um, But it was hard sometimes with female authors who I, especially ones that I really, I read their books, I spent money I didn't have on their books for years. And then when I met them, and not all of them are like this, obviously, the romance community in general is great. But especially in the beginning, before I was really successful, people were like, oh, that's cute. Or, oh, I used to write fan fiction when I was in college. I'm like, cool. I didn't have to finish college. Um, <laughs> so it's like, it, that part was a little like disheartening because I really expected such a like great community to be like way more embracing of me. And it was a little disappointing that the more successful I got, the more they embraced me. But I'm like, oh, I, to them, I was like this cute little like teenage girl. And I'm like, actually, like I'm raising a special needs child. I'm like a woman. I am not like a cute girl. And then especially during COVID, when I saw a lot of authors like, oh, I'm writing fan fiction to get my passion back. I'm like, yes, this is a good thing. We should be like, we not ashamed of it. But the idea of like something being a not real story. It's like, okay, so what does it take to be a real story? So many stories are derived from other stories that have existed before. And it's always almost in romance that people are like well and you're like actually no everything is just bible fanfic in the end literally piece of like general fiction you read yeah like Um, all of our books are basically like one storyline it's like we all are doing something I did a festival a couple years ago I won't say the name of the author but um it was like a very I'm not sure in the beginning I was like why am I here because it was like a Pulitzer Prize winning author who Mm -hmm. like wrote this insane really great novel he was really great but this female author that was on the panel with me was going like, it's okay to start somewhere. Basically like, oh, that's cute. But her story was about one of Hemingway's wives. And it was a fictional story about Hemingway's wife. And I'm like, you wrote Hemingway fanfic. What are you talking about? (laughs) Like, this is what it is. But because she was like, you know, New York Times, blah, 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 and all these things, it was like, for some reason for her, she didn't even realize that it was fanfic. And I said that like on the panel, because I was like, this is fanfic um and the guy who won the Pulitzer Prize was like oh this is fan fiction and I was just like hmm. you're like did it take it someone yeah like spelling it out for, yeah exactly yeah but in the beginning I just wanted to be accepted so badly into the community that I was like what can I do to make people like like me more take me more seriously and then I just realized one day like no one's ever gonna take me seriously and the more successful I get the nicer they are to me but the more they dislike me so I just stopped trying and then I made really great friends of other authors and I found the right community but I was just in like a weird corner of it that wasn't very supportive in the beginning yeah absolutely you did a great job also like of fleshing out your region of romance as well and maybe it's serendipity I don't know but we have people who come into the store every week people being like oh, you know, I met all of my friends. All of the friends I have are from the after groups from Facebook, the after groups from Tumblr, the after groups from here or from Instagram or from wherever. And we've never met each other. And this is like, you know, the first time in 10 years that we, you know, we're all in Los Angeles to come hang out and to like go see the after movie that's coming out on Wednesday. So you have done such a superb job coming from being a 20, you know, a 20 something where you're like, I am just doing this because I'm having a blast. So congratulations, because 
I'm sure it was a long process to be able to like, hey, yeah, no, this is what I do. And not only that, I am wildly successful and my fan base rocks and they are so supportive and yeah. so great. That is, yeah. that is the dream. You have a, you have a son, right? Mm-hmm. How yeah. old is he? Does he like reading? Um, he'll be 11 in like two weeks, which is crazy. Um, yeah, I'm like, what is going on? You're supposed to be a baby still. Um, yeah. but he likes to be read too. He doesn't really love to actually read, but he has autism. So it's like, it's not okay. super easy for him to read, but he, he's still kind of, we make him, um, <laughs> And then I read to him every night. So he definitely, I'm like, you have to like books. Yeah. Um, with the way his mind is like always moving. I'm like, you've got to, there's just so much that can be taught and learned and processed through books. So we started just kind of every week he memorizes, he reads, but he like memorizes because of the way his brain works. He pretty much memorizes it. Um, and then like That's performs cool. a reading of it. Um, so he's hopefully he'll like books. If not, I don't know. I failed as a parent. <laughs> I also feel like the older I get, the more I realize like people that never read, I'm like, actually, like, please don't come near me. <laughs> like, I don't want anything to do with you. People that are like, I don't like books. I'm like, okay, that's all I needed to hear, actually. Yeah, yeah. Like, we just don't exist in the same world, clearly. Especially when they like brag about it. It's like being like, yes. I don't like vegetables. It's like, okay like you that's an inside thought you should never <laughs> tell people that like literally exactly. keep it inside some things we just keep to ourselves yeah yeah locked up so i wanted to also okay so of course we're here because of the falling which we have not stopped talking about to each other we have live texted each other being like i'm oh man taylor stressed. i'm stressed piper mm -hmm. i am stressed out obviously writing after you were you know young it started off as fanfics it was a more like fun creative process the falling is it is a love story it was the best stress read because I just wanted them to be happy with each other so badly. Personally, I love Karina. Yeah, uh, I, I hear myself in her mm -hmm. and I wanted to talk to you about how you wrote not just her, but her brain and the way that she works. You, you did a fantastic job writing out all how she works out problems in her head how she levels with her anxiety and the burden that she feels like she bears for her brother, for her dad, for her mom, who, you know, has done all these, frankly, shitty things. You can just hear her trying to work these problems out in her head, trying to manage her anger and her frustration, her fears. So I want to hear like what that was like for you. Did it flow out of you really easily? Was it something that you thought about when you were writing her internal monologues that she mm -hmm. was having? What was writing her like for you? I would say it's probably in the middle. It did flow pretty naturally, but intentionally at the same time, I feel like what I wanted to accomplish with her, which by the way, thank you, because it seems like I did was I wanted some people who don't have anxiety or don't have intrusive thoughts are like, she's super exhausting. And then it's like, well, <laughs> welcome to my brain all the time. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, sure. um, literally where they're like, I don't know why she thinks about the same thing over and over. I'm like, well, must be nice. Obsessive compulsive <laughs> how you, disorder. How actually. do you think I feel? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, literally that must be really nice to just be like, Oh, like no thoughts all the time. But I wanted, I feel like sometimes, even though I love all types of romance and it does, every character doesn't have to have anxiety or intrusive thoughts or OCD or anything, but sometimes I feel like internal monologues can be very simple and I don't relate to them to where I'm like, you don't just wake up and think like about coffee and the flower. It's like, what do you think about? What is your brain? Like, I don't want to watch a character. I want to like feel you as a human. 
So I try to make her, and in the second book, Kale's point of view is half of the, a little bit more than half of the book. And his mind is like, I mean, very different than hers, but sort of the same where I'm like, okay, people, if you're tired with Karina, you're definitely going to be tired (laughs) with Kale. But I wanted to just feel, for one, people that don't have that experience, I wanted them to understand that that is how a lot of people's minds, especially in this day and age work. Um, And not everything is going through the motions of a day. It's like some people do worry over every little thing. Some people do hyperfixate on problems they can't solve, or some people do have empathy and a soft spot for someone who abandoned them. Like I wanted her to feel like an actual human that I know. And I don't know anyone, thankfully, who is like just one-sided and doesn't have any like, I don't know. I feel like I just wanted to feel human. Um, and him, he was the same where I don't want it to just be like super hot soldier guy to the rescue. It's like, no, I want him to be complex. And I want you to feel bad for him, frustrated at him, understand him, get to know why he is the way he is and why they can't, well, in the first book, why they it, it's also like, I wanted their problems to be in after it's every chapter, there's like a problem, like something's <laughs> going on. It's like an external force is messing with yeah. them. There's Molly, there's Ken, there's all these things going on with this. I, sometimes it doesn't take some big bet over your virginity or like <laughs> your brother's best friend, or you're like w- sharing a bed. Sometimes it's literally just people's own baggage and own trauma that doesn't allow them to connect with another human. So as much as like, there's no crazy, big, dramatic thing happening sometimes it doesn't take a huge event. It's like just our own selves being in the way. And like, it's not that simple. Otherwise all of us would be falling in love with our neighbor and our like delivery man and all this stuff. It's like, people are very complicated. And just because two people seem like they're great together and they have a connection doesn't mean that it's going to be an easy road to get there. That is crystal clear when you wrote both of them and the way that they interact, because there is like a lot of aloofness, right? Where it's like in Karina's head, she's got like a monologue and then she's like, she says like three words yeah Yeah. and you're like but that's also us right like Mm -hmm. at any given point in our heads dealing I mean like I know the two of us deal with intrusive thoughts and anxiety deeply anxious people people. (laughs) um and it's funny I see a lot of myself in both of the characters yeah I also love the way that you wrote how you wrote about Karina's relationship with other women. Mm -hmm. And I really loved that. Um, And like all of her like internal things where she's like, it's not other people, it's always just me. And I know that it's me. And I'm sorry that it's me, but I also can't help it. I feel like in romance, especially rom-coms, there is so much fluff to it where it is just like, oh, and you know, I was gallivanting across the street and I dropped Mm -hmm. my groceries and I was like, oh, I'm so dumb. And then this man swoops by and like picks it up and you're like, Nah, actually that's not real people and not real situations. Yeah, yeah. I would absolutely lose my shit if I dropped my groceries in Mill Street. It's like, I'd yes. be like, oh my God, there's people coming and this is so embarrassing and blah, blah, blah. And I can't yeah. believe I didn't double back my grocery. It's like, Here's- there's way more. Yeah, and I think like when I, sometimes I do love, I'm not like the biggest fan of fluff to be honest, but sometimes I do love and it's great for an escape and I totally understand why people love it, but that's just not what this is. So sometimes people are like, this is stressful or this isn't like romantic enough. I'm like, I never said it was. Like yeah. I never said this is going to be an easy beach read. Like that's right. not falling. I'm a, I am a rom-com reader until I die. I don't want to be stressed when I'm reading. <laughs> and so I don't know if this is a book that I necessarily would have picked up, but I'm so glad I did because I feel like there are some books that are almost traumatizing in how intense they are. 
And I think that this book towed that line so well. And I'm, so I'm half black, half white. And the way that you wrote about race, I mean, the scene with the military police was yes. so stressful and disturbing without it being this like, I don't know, you didn't have to say that it was racist. Like it just was. And so how did you, the way that you wrote about the black characters and writing about being in an interracial relationship is done with so much care. How have your personal experiences helped you write these characters? I mean, I was married to a black man for 15 years. So since I was, and we dated since high school. So for me, there were obviously people that said just flat out racist things, but it was a lot of subtlety, a lot of like, oh, that was not okay to say. And for me, I didn't want to write an interracial relationship to like I don't want to jump on any kind of bandwagon or make a social statement just to do it. This is something that's actually important to me. My son is half black. I'm raising a half black autistic boy who Lord knows what the world's going to be like for him. So I wanted to do it without being like, this is police brutality, or this is because he's black. It's like, people don't always say, I hate black people. They don't always say I'm bothered by Asian people. They just are but they and that's how we like blur these things where it's like oh it's just an opinion because they didn't come out and try to kill you or whatever it's like yeah exactly no but that's not okay like there were times literally in the military is a whole other world when it comes to this where like people who it definitely this isn't a spoiler but it definitely shows up more from kale's point of view but there were people we would be at like a cookout and these are people that my husband at the time i'm going through a divorce right now but it's like we're both really happy and we like, we're going to be best friends still. So it's fine. So I don't feel like people should get married at 18. So here we are. And I'm like, you know, we were married longer than anyone I know. So this is a success. Um, Definitely. But we, when we were in, when he was in the army, we would go to like a cookout and people would say like, it was mostly white people and a person would literally who like, they just came back from deployment together, which means like they protected each other. They almost died together. They, and they would say stuff like, Oh, we brought the fried chicken or watermelon or and it's like and my husband at the time would like laugh and I was like why are you laughing like what that's not funny like I would try not to cause a scene but like especially when we would go home I would be like I cannot believe you let them talk to you like that like I should have said this and he would be like first of all it's not that simple which also showed me the side of like you can be as a white blonde lady I can be mad all day but I'm not the one that has to walk around with black skin every day so it's like it's so different for me to be enraged it's easy for me to cause a scene at a cookout and everyone to go oh his wife's crazy or whatever but it's like he's the one that's going to go to work on Monday and they're all going to say stuff to him and it's going to make it way worse. And he was like, you know, these are men who literally almost died for me. So if they make racist jokes, it is what it, and I'm just, it took me so long to be like, two things can exist at the same time. People can be just inherently racist and not be purposely harming you. And for me, I still struggle with this because it's like, I don't believe, I don't like the idea of duality of like, you can be, you know, a good soldier that protects someone, but also make racist comments. It's like, it just is such a bizarre thing. But at the same time, it's like, it's not for me to 
understand. And it's not for me to say, you should be mad about this because I'm mad about it. And because I think it's wrong. It's like, he also thought it's wrong, but that's his everyday life where he can't go around being pissed off and fighting everybody that says something racist or gives him the wrong look. He can't like Kale, like what is Kale going to fight back and call the military police racist and get himself killed? Your hands are tied in a way that I, you know, as much as internet culture, we all want to, especially I mean, I am a white person, but especially like white women on the internet, we all want to be enraged, but we don't have to have any consequences from our rage. So I wanted to be subtle and like, but also say it, but not in a preachy way where speaking for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Because it wasn't preachy. And there's something about like of what you're saying about the cookouts when I was in high school and I was going to my first party, my parents were I mean, my parents are anxious. I'm anxious. I didn't drink until I turned 21. And um, I was going to go to this like a prom after party. And my mom is white, like white, white, white. And my dad is black. And we were talking about what to do if the cops busted the party that I was at. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, my dad said, sit down. And my mom said, run. And my dad was like, absolutely not. She is black. She will get killed. And it was just like the most biracial thing that I had ever experienced. Despite how close they are and how well they know each other, there's always going to be a difference in their experiences. Mm-hmm. You also, you handled nuance so well throughout the novel. And I mean that in the way of like how you approached racism, how you also approached writing about the military. Mm-hmm. I was reading The Falling. At the beginning, Kale says something along the lines of like, the military helped my family establish themselves within our community. Mm-hmm. And it's this important thing. But at the same time, I grew up um my father's a former dea agent so not i was not a military brat but i'm seeing how isolating it was to grow up in a family that was stationed around the world to carry out you know the ideals of the u.s government things like that i have grown more critical of it as i've gotten older but you were the first person to like write something where i was like oh this sucks but also it's much more complicated than that. I wanted to talk to you about what made you want to tell this type of story that involves such a, because there's something about the military that it encompasses your personal life. It's your personal life. It's your work. It's your ethos. It's the reason that you wake up in the morning. It's your value system. It's how you raise your kids. It's how you interact with people on the daily basis. And I wanted to kind of get into your mind. What made you want to tell this story? You did a great job making that be like the antagonist of the story without there being like a single antagonist. I kind of wanted to, yeah, just like rack your brain a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it was a mixture of my own experience from even not only just being married to a soldier for a long time since I was 18, but my grandpa retired from the army. My uncle retired from the army. My uncle was like a Black Hawk pilot who deployed like 30 times. And there is this like, and my mom is like this chaotic, like, whimsical hippie woman who doesn't wear shoes so it's like she's like the black sheep of the family because she's not obedient and there is this like kind of glaze over my family of like the military side and the non-military side and my mom has like always been a super pro-military person even though nothing about her belief system is like pro-military so I kept being like is this her way to try to please her father like just dissecting her own childhood trauma and because I, in my free time, I'm an online psychologist, I guess. Um, so I'm like, what is this level of like, it, it literally encompasses you. Like even all the being 18 and being, well, being 18 and being married is like 
just intense as it is, it is. But it's like when I graduated high school, I got married a month later. My husband at the time deployed seven days after we got married. I literally was like fresh out into the world and was like, oh, now I'm someone's wife who literally like could die at any time. And people in his, he had a very, very boots on the ground job, infantry job. So it was like, and my husband, even when we were friends, I would say like, you know, you're an idiot for joining the military. Like you could do so much more with your life. Like why? Cause all he would say was like, like he wouldn't pay attention in class and he would be like, I'm joining the army. I don't care. And I'm like, what? Like, why is that like this goal for you? And his great grandpa was a Tuskegee airman, which is a huge deal. And he's like, well, my family literally bought a house was the first black family in a neighborhood in our town because of the army. And I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, my mom literally could feed me as a baby because she joined the air force. So it was like my, I'm all mad. Meanwhile, I lived in like low income housing and like my parents are poor as shit. So who am I to even judge that? But I just had this like inner, the army's wrong and what we're doing in the middle East is wrong, which again, two things can exist at once. Like the person that I married, didn't join the army to kill people or to harm people. Like he literally couldn't even kill like a freaking spider. It's not like he's this macho man who thinks he has power by hurting people it's totally opposite where it's like oh that's not always the case and in the in the u.s there's no other job that you get free health care free college like they promise you free college which is a scam but they tell you that you can go to college for free and especially when my husband at the time went to re-enlist i was like what in the world? You've already deployed twice. This is insane. Yeah. I literally was pregnant the whole time by myself. I found out I was pregnant two days after he deployed for the third time. No. So I was like, this is nuts. Like, I don't care what we have to do. We cannot stay in the army. Like I hated the lifestyle, the stress and the like no concept of identity and all of this stuff. But at the same time with a special needs son, if he wasn't in the army, there's no way I could have afforded any of the medical care that my son had, right. any of the therapy, MRIs every six months. It's like the army, as much as I was always like fighting against it and being like, I can't believe that we're still in the army. Like we were supposed to get out and I can't believe you're re-enlisting. And he's like, well, Asher needs a lot of medical care. And at the time I didn't even have a job. I was like taking classes online and writing fan fiction. So it was yeah. like, He's like, this is what we have to do. So it's like this love hate where it really was a stepping stone. And if it wasn't for him being in the army, one, we wouldn't have had any of the healthcare. It's like 90% of the people I've met are either doing it from a family legacy point or a, I have to do this or I won't survive. Like I have children, I have a sick child, I have a sick wife. I know people who their wife had cancer and they literally had to redeploy because if they got out, there's no healthcare. Right. So it's like- it's yeah. literally way more complicated than just like, you know, pro Republican people joining the army to kill people. It's like, it's so much more complicated than that. Part of me growing up, like, especially when I was like, you know, 18, 19, and I started having, I started developing more, you know, critical thoughts about what my childhood was like because of the, you know, the fact that my father gave every aspect of his life to the U.S. government, granted mm -hmm. not military, but not still, it's all the same. It all goes back to the same place. It's the same yeah. beast. Exactly. And I think you covered that really well in The Falling, where you're like, it is, it has given, it has allowed people to live the lives that they live, but there is a cost. But that cost is not always physical. Sometimes it's physiological. Sometimes it exists so deep within you that you come off aloof, but you're actually just sensitive and sweet, but trying to process yeah. the world around you. I also think that it's the difference between the um, the like collective, like the army, and then the individual. Mm -hmm. And 
that is something that that is discussed so deeply in the book also something that you've been saying just you know with talking about your life and being married to a soldier you kept saying we're still in the arm or we have to get out and i just hearing you phrase like that i didn't think about it where it's like you are giving you're not boots on the ground but you are at home you're the one you know raising a child you're the one dealing with a pregnancy on your own like and that's just, that's not even- The cascading effects. Yeah. My dad worked for the government and I have trauma and knowledge and experiences from that too. So it is diffused it, for everything. It is. And in a lot of ways, like sometimes you don't even know, like you don't realize how limiting it is. And then it's like little things like I kept with my husband's time, I kept being like, you need to like find a hobby or like when he was in the army, I'm like, you've got to like have some, and he literally just, his identity had been totally stripped. So he's like, well, I don't even know what I like. And I'm like, and I'm like such a passionate person that I love everything. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? But it's like, of yeah. course, his identity is stripped. When you wake up, you put on a uniform, you go home, you take it off, you go to sleep, you wake up. It's like all these things that were tiny things. Like even this year in July, I was in New York right before I went on a book tour and mm -hmm. I went out for the fireworks, which I have not seen in 15 years. Right. And I was I thought the whole time that it was just my husband's trauma and that like, we can't see fireworks because he can't see fireworks. I was absolutely, will never see fireworks again. But I, yeah. and I was so excited. I was like, I can't wait. I was staying like by the Brooklyn bridge. I was like, the fireworks are going to be amazing. It was so physically and mentally traumatic for me to just like, in the whole night the fireworks kept going. And I was just like, oh my God, this has affected me in this way that I thought I was finally free of this, like no 4th of July. So then I was like, wow, not only am I totally rocked by the sound of the fireworks, but also yeah. now because of the way the country is, I'm like, you know, are we going to be shot? Because this is a gathering. So I just kept looking awesome. at every like suspicious white man, like, are you yeah. going to shoot us all? So it was like this, like all the, and I was like, whoa, I'm really like, I need to go back inside. I was out there for like literally maybe 10 minutes and I was so freaked out that I was like, this is I'm never it's doing this again. And it's so unfair. I felt it too. Where you're like, this isn't fair. Yeah. I, I didn't have to go through this. And yet I still, my life is different. Like yeah. the, the, my DNA and, and the way that I interact with my external world is different because of like the vicarious trauma of being around somebody else who was traumatized. You've also just told stories about like your dad coming home from work and being like, oh yeah, I almost died today. But like when that's a daily thing where it's kind of like, oh, this is a joke that we're gonna say around the dinner table. Mm -hmm. like. Exactly. Or like, you know, I can't, I can't imagine you being pregnant or you being, you know, having a, an infant son and then being like, I haven't heard from my husband in three yeah. days. And the blackouts, like the blackouts are so intense where like when one person dies, which happens literally all the time, but when one person dies, the whole company gets like shut down where you can't contact your family until the family of the deceased is contacted. So it's like all of us, like a group of women that I knew really well, and that we were kind of like in the together and then it's like as messed up as it sounds it's almost like well whose husband is it none of, like yeah. and then you just wait and then you're like oh it's you know so-and-so's husband this time and it's like we're all the oldest wife that was in my husband's company was like 35 so we're just all like these young women just like fresh out of our parents houses basically being like oh did we marry somebody that's literally gonna die and how is that gonna affect us and it's so it's also so frustrating so it's like this thing where 
My point was we should have better care for military in general. So it shouldn't have to be like, even now it's like my mom, who's always been super patriotic. She like doesn't wear American flags anymore and doesn't hang. And it's like, we're just in this place where like, if I see an American flag, I'm like, oh, but at the same time, it's like, why is that? Why do we allow that to happen? Like, I can't help it now. It's too deep, but it's like, it's like, we've totally, it just shows how weak our system as a country was anyways and how ready we are to turn on each other and how ready we are to judge each other and who wants to be righteous and who just wants to survive it's like it's easy for me to say in my you know LA home with a pool in my like great life to not vote for somebody right because they're bad when it's like okay well I want my family to have health care and I want to be able to pay my bills we have a couple more questions I think yeah and this one this ties into I think what we've you know been talking about but the the connection that you found with the other women who were married to soldiers and the community that you had to create while your husband was gone your dedication in your book is all about you know hoping that people can read this book and find an escape kind of find a place uh, that makes them feel less lonely. So what were you going through while you were writing this? And what were you going through while you were rewriting it? So when I was writing both times, I was the first time I definitely wasn't really ready to fully go there, but I wanted to, I just kept thinking about this soldier who was really quiet and this woman who just had enormous amount of intrusive thoughts and anxiety and what it looks like to fall in love, but not in a like cliche, like, oh, they looked at each other and fell in love. It's like, what is falling in love? It's slow. It's stressful. It's not a meet cute in real life. Usually um, yeah. it's complicated. I wanted, I, I didn't write this book for anyone particularly except for myself, but I do hope that, you know, being a military wife in general, not only army or being a daughter of a military or daughter of a U.S. government employee, or even a daughter of like absent parents um, or addict parents, like I want people to, if you've been there, I feel like this is like the kind of book, like I've had a lot of people be like, oh, you get it. Like you get me and you like spoke to me. And this is different than usually when I read books and I'm like lost in the world of the characters. It made me like, when I closed the book, I thought about like my own trauma and my own family structure and why the dynamic of my family is so stressful to me and why I try to please my parents or why I can't fall in love or why I don't think I'm good enough to be loved. It's like all of these things are my job is to just write a book and blah, blah blah but I did it with the point of like I hope someone reads it and feels less alone or kind of like they're understood and I think a lot of army spouses especially because of how everything is politically it's like they're not you know 10 years ago or even when I was an army wife there was a lot more support because it was a different political situation in the country and we weren't really you know you couldn't get on twitter and see that 20 american soldiers raped a 14 year old iraqi girl it's like it was a totally different world so there was way more support it wasn't fully like if i went to like la people were like oh you're an army wife like oh your husband's a soldier it's like a way different in texas it's like oh you're an army wife it's like you have a different support but i know especially when you get out it's like not then you lose the connection mostly because everybody goes to different cities and they go back where they're from and they never no one stays usually at the base when they're out so it's like you have these really intense bonds with people and then suddenly they're gone so for me it's like all of my friends during that time period I don't talk to any of them every once in a while one of them will comment like on a Facebook post and say like hey I'm proud of you remember when we were a waitress but it's like in reality I don't know what their life is like and I'm sure it's really hard and they don't know what my life is like it's like we're 
it's so strange to have these really deep, intense connections with people and then they just disappear, whether they move or die or whatever the situation is, but that's not normal. <laughs> and yeah. I hope that that's reflected in these novels. It yeah. is. Also, I mean, like, I, I keep going back to Karina's mind, but like, even how when she meets Kale and she's like, no, he's leaving. I am not going to even put myself in this position to even, right. like, I am not going to let myself like him. I am not going to let myself do any of this because I need to protect myself because I know how this ends. <laughs> Every time I know how yeah. it ends. And it's the same thing, right? It's like, someone's gonna leave, someone's gonna die. Were there any, one of the other things that I wanted to ask you was, were there any books that um, that you've read that have made you feel less lonely, that have kind of given you the solace that you hope people will find in your book? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I'm like, to be honest, no. Like my books that are usually my favorites are like Total Escape, like Fantasy or Cassandra Clare is my favorite author. I am a Cassandra Clare stan. Same. I'm literally, she's my favorite living author. I absolutely love her. And her books definitely take me out of the real world, but they, I don't necessarily like relate to hunting demons or any of these <laughs> things, but so that's the closest, but I haven't read, especially like when it comes to like the military genre, it's like every time I try to read one, it's like super sexy soldiers and, and it's like, um, no, <laughs> that's just world. a, yeah, I'm like, that's just not my jam. I get why people read them and write them and love them, but it's yeah, not yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. No, and that's like, like I, I know I mentioned this already, but like that is what makes, I think, The Falling so spectacular is that it's not, it doesn't, it intends to not glamorize any of this. Mm -hmm. And it shows, but it also exists in a way where you're like, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place because you're reading this and you're just like, I feel bad for everyone. Like <laughs> yeah. everyone's in a lose-lose yeah. situation here. I mean, like even Austin, I mean, like, cause it also goes oh, to gosh. show like how the sibling dynamics, how like Karina went into being like, you know, quiet life, like just like quiet in her own world, yeah, exists within herself by the book. And then Austin's like, bah! yeah, like I'm traumatized. And she's like, I'm traumatized too right <laughs> but can you just and then even her her denial in terms of his like where mm -hmm. he's at 100 oh, is so that was so hard to read and you know knowing people that have you know dealt with addiction i was like girl <laughs> like wake up he is not just smoking weed and mm -hmm. i know she kept being drinking like, austin sucks austin sucks <laughs> i was like we can't and i'm like austin does suck he's also traumatized so traumatized i, know. Oh my God, I, I love so him i like hate him but i love him. yeah absolutely i was so mad at him when oh when karina's like when she sees i think katie for the first time and she's worried about her how old she is mm -hmm. and the at way the party yes oh. and the way that that is a normal Mm -hmm. like th th these checklists that she started going through in her mind in terms of her brother where from the outside it's so easy to see how wrong that is and how if it's if he's slept with someone that is not of age once like that should already be the problem like but now it's becoming or like even when she was like he was just in jail and then she's like I shouldn't even that shouldn't be something that is on my mind like uh, it's just so hard to read but also so realistic i have not stopped thinking about karina's mother i yeah i have not i have not because like the when you finally because obviously you get those tidbits and everything and then she lays in the kicker about the house fire and how she oh my god i was so mad ran out or walked out like as if yeah it, 
leaving Karina to be like, I had to save my brother essentially because my mom wasn't going to do it for me. You just covered it. You like put like a sheen of like silk over it (laughs) to be like, yeah, like this is, this is her past, but also like, you know, now she, she can sit down on a couch with Kale and they can like, you know, kind of now that they can finally talk to each other because they're both aloof and in their heads and all these things, which I am so excited to read the second book yeah. from his perspective. Good God, when does the second book come <laughs> yes, out? We actually were just talking about this. When does the second book come out? It's June. So like June. a while, but not, it's already September. So not that long. Yeah, okay. Soon. <laughs> June is okay. June is, <laughs> we'll, oh. we'll, we'll cope. We'll cope. And are there, so the, this version of the falling, is this longer than Mm-hmm. the initial okay yeah it's longer and it's just it's just di- it's like a different vibe I guess mm-hmm. like the when I wrote the brightest stars which was what it used to be called the first one I one I was not really ready to like fully go into like especially in the second book there's like I mean obviously there'll be trigger warnings and stuff but it just kills mine is a whole other place that like it's just a different perspective that I really wasn't ready to go into. So I felt like when I was reading it over to start the third book, especially in the second one, I was like, this isn't, this is like 30% me. Like it's not fully like really me. Like I was like, this feels like I could like feel myself like tiptoeing and not really like going deeper. Mm -hmm. So I was like, this doesn't feel right. And then I had, I was like, I wonder how often people like rewrite their books that are already published. And because I have a lot of foreign publishers and they've, you know, paid and done marketing and released these novels and they've been bestsellers and all this stuff. I was like, how bad would it be if I just like redid the whole thing? Yeah. And my agent was like, don't you just want to finish the series and move on? And I was like, what I want and what I'm going to do are different things. Exactly. (laughs) Like again. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I will not be able to, I'm not like, I mean, my life would be a lot easier if I was that way where I was like, Oh, it's a book. And you know, everybody has one series they don't love. I heard that a lot from other authors of like, well, you're always going to have a book you don't love. I'm like, right. Why? But why? Like when I'm dead, literally, I don't want to have a bunch of books that I'm like, Oh, I just didn't really like that one. It's like, it is definitely a little you know, not normal to totally rewrite a book that's already been out. But at the same time, it's like, I want to be proud of everything I write. I want to like really feel it. And like the point of writing isn't to make money for me. Fortunately, like, obviously I'm in a different position. I'm lucky enough to be able to say that, but even when it wasn't about money, I still didn't care. And I would rewrite it even if it was a fanfic on Wattpad. It's like, I want to be proud and really feel what I'm writing. I want people to connect with it. I don't want to just sell books because my name will sell a book it's like what's the point of that if I get to that point then I'm gonna retire (laughs) like absolutely you know I love that it's not about the quantity right people can churn out 15 books a year which Mm -hmm. power to them don't know how you do it yeah wish I could Could not be me but like the fact that you were like actually no I'm gonna do the harder more and not even because it's not controversial or anything but I guess like the more risky thing which is to take it to be like, actually, I'm going to go further with this. I'm going to like, you know, like you said, I'm going to put my brain more into it. I'm going to go deeper. I'm going to explore these topics that are messy and not so fun yeah. and whatever else and build a poignant emotional story out of it, um, a love story. And I'm so 
oh, I just am so grateful yeah, for seriously. the representation that you've written because I was, I was, we were talking to someone at the store yesterday where this woman was like, well, I've just kind of resigned myself to, to knowing that books written about black people by people that aren't black are going to be a little bit upsetting. Mm. And yeah, and it was so heartbreaking to hear because it shouldn't be that way. And oh my gosh, so it I'm feels just... good to wake up today and be able to talk to you. Yes. Oh gosh, absolutely. And be like, yeah, like actually, no, we don't have to live in that world. No, right? we don't. Like it doesn't have to I, be that way. I yeah, I even as a white woman, I it is hard, especially like there were times where I just wanted to read interracial romance because that's what I. <laughs> like yeah. when I'm living so yeah, I yeah. when I would read them I would be like okay it's like it is it's offensive and I went to this writers conference like a while ago like 2016 ish and this author said something that I will never forget and it was so disturbing to me where she said that the basically someone in the audience of black women asked you know why do you only write white characters like why are all of your characters white and She's like, I love your work. And I'm just curious, like, is this something that you're afraid of doing? Or are you, you know, like the way the woman asked was so heartbreaking, but also like honest. And she just wanted, it wasn't a fit, like, she didn't say it in like a, you don't do, it was like a very nice, interesting way to ask. And the author said, you know, I just feel like there's so many other voices that can do that. It's like, first of all, there's not, there's like 10% of published authors are black, first of all. So that's not a thing. So can we stop saying, I'm letting the black people write it because they're not getting the yes. deal. They're not able, it's like, you're already published. Your voice still matters. And then she said, I just, you know, I feel like the things I can relate to and I write what I can relate to. The woman writes fucking wizards and witches and stuff. It's like, <laughs> So you're telling me you can relate to a wizard more than a black person? Like, yeah. Oh. Was like, what the fuck? And some people in the audience were like, yeah. And I yeah, just, absolutely. Oh, what? Did oh. she just said that? Like, I was just, out, like, okay, like oh. you said that out loud. Not literally. Out, and people like nodded, like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, this woman literally writes like fantasy novels about like witches, warlocks, wolves, like wolves that turn into humans. I'm like, so you can relate to a shapeshifter more than a person of color. Like it, I just, I blew my mind. I'm like, this is absolutely insane. That's, like, I will edit this part out, but I'm not surprised. Oh, no. That, that something like that if a romance that fantasy author said something like that. That's yeah. also how I felt yeah, when there was all of that backlash about the first black Glinda in um, Wicked. Oh, and people yeah. were losing their minds. I was like, guys, one of the characters is legitimately a talking goat. <laughs> yeah. Like, we can get behind that, but we draw the line at a black princess. We watch a green girl on stage the whole yes. time. The whole but time. Once you incorporate a black character, you're like, actually, this is... Um, she I turns her boyfriend into a scarecrow. Yes, literally. Yes. It's so weird. I've been seeing stuff about the new Game of Thrones too, how they have black goblins and people are like, the goblins can't be black because of where it is in the world. It's like, they're goblins. They're goblins. What do you mean? <laughs> they're not they can't be black. It's like, word, is, goblin. It's, 
so weird this like being able to relate to and I'm so tired of this excuse of like I don't write queer stories because I'm not queer and I want to leave it for queer people it's like yeah if we were in a world where a bunch of queer authors were getting publishing deals and making money I would agree but we're not so that's an excuse that I'm like at least just say it's not my jam it's not something I'm interested in. it's not something I feel like I can do well instead of like using this excuse of like, well, I'm waiting for the queer authors. It's like, yeah, so we're there also waiting yeah, for you yeah. to the open the door for them. Don't make mm-hmm. yourself, there's there's something about the like saviorism that comes with that where it's like, yes. oh, well, but I'm giving up my place yes. in order to let these people do it. And it's and like, you're, like, well, you're no not one... getting the opportunity. Like what? Yeah. Um, I am so excited for this second oh. book. I am excited for the third <laughs> one. And we I have- just- you know, we're ways away from it. So are you in the middle of writing your third book right now? Yeah. Perfect. Okay, great. Yep. What do you see for yourself after that? Obviously the after series uh, is getting its, the final movies coming out. So it's like that saga, you get to, you know, tie up with a beautiful bow. The falling, obviously you're writing the last book and that's going to be queued up. What types of stories do you want to tell next? What types of things do you want to focus on? Do you want to focus more on like your media company creating like visual pieces of, of art, like what type of, what are you looking forward to? So kind of all of the above, um, I can't say specifics like titles or anything, but I have been quietly over the last like three or four, almost four years now, optioning other authors works that I love um, to produce. So I've been working heavily on that, but as we all know, Hollywood is very slow, but now the pieces are coming together and I should have at least two announcements by the end of the year. One, I think in the next few weeks, which is, I wish I could say it, but it's really, really exciting. I'm also adapting, so I won't say the title, but I'm also adapting a remake of a Korean series that I really love. Oh my gosh. Which is something that, that's like a pure passion project for me where I'm just like, this is amazing. Um, so I'm adapting that into an American version, sort of. The lead's still going to be Korean, but different world. And then I have Frayed Pages by Wattpad Books, which is my yes. imprint that I'm basically the space between self-publishing and traditional publishing, I'm trying to become that space of like, I want people that don't necessarily have the resources to market themselves or put a bunch of money into Facebook ads or pay Uh a lot of money to have a cover made or editors. It's like those kind of writers who are just writing for the love of it, not for, you know, to hit a list or whatever. It is so exciting. It's so exciting. Oh my gosh. I'm obsessed. That you know, you've had such a full career already and that it's still just the beginning. Yeah. I, I keep being like, wow, this really is like the beginning of, feels like I've lived like a hundred years, but then I'm like getting a new life where I'm like, okay, this literally is the beginning of my career, especially producing career. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and so a completely cool. different world. I mean, I know like, you know, writing is one thing and then Hollywood is yeah. literally a different, totally different, different thing. Beast. Definitely. Yeah. Oh my God. And I mean, like, yeah, the success of the after movies and everything else. I mean, you are like, how inspiring that you started this as a 20 something truthfully, like, like, you know, I think you, your age. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'll be 24 next month. Wow. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. I'm a, a baby, a baby, but like you were 
so young did you even think that this could happen like did you did you definitely not yeah even when I got like a publishing deal I was like oh my book's gonna be in a store how fun like yeah like extent of my like thinking about my career I like I kept getting these emails like Spain this Germany that and then I was like wait are they saying they're gonna publish my books there (laughs) like what is happening it was beyond my imagination yeah literally I was like whoa this is I feel like I'm still like, I have kind of like the Taylor Swift syndrome where I'm just always like me. Oh, yeah. okay. I won again. How is this possible? Exactly. Like, we, I mean, just so honored to talk yes, to you and so, so excited. You know, you're, you're now not only like a force to be reckoned with as an author, but also as a producer in Hollywood. Yeah, and you, you have the skill, the attitude, the personality, everything about it to just make it um, a wonderful experience for your fans, for your readers, for your, every person who interacts with your content in any capacity. So thank you for waking up one day and, <laughs> and realizing like, hey, actually I can write this fun story. <laughs> oh my gosh, Anna, thank you so, so much. Thank you, sure. thank you guys. Thank, thank you. you so much. You congratulations so much. on everything. Yes, congratulations. Congratulations on the movie. Congratulations on the falling and the, the whole trilogy. Have just, yeah, the best day. Thank you. Thank so you, guys. Thank us. you, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye, Anna. Lace and Debauchery is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.